And while they're in line, I'm a 13-year-old boy going through puberty. Welcome to the third installment of Independent Horror Spooktober. We really thought that the actors would be able to act. (laughs) But like this morning we woke up and Mm -hmm. Hollywood Studios said, not in your wildest fucking dreams. No, we're going to hang on to that 2% of profits and you can all go fuck yourself. <laughs> was it only the the profits? Was there anything else? There's also the, the AI usage as yeah, well. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's insane. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all it's scary on one hand because it's like, how long are they going to hold out? But yeah. also scary that it's like, they're willing to hold out this long because in the long term, it'll be better for them to lose all of this business now to have the like AI reproduction shit for the rest of eternity. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, it, terrifying. Like it's, it's absolutely terrifying. terrifying. Yeah, it's just insanely bad for actors because then it's like what's the – if they're going to just generate mm-hmm. another version of you, it's like how do you even work at that point? Yeah, like it's it's truly straight out of a Black Mirror episode where you have to fucking sign your likeness away mm-hmm. in perpetuity. That's crazy. That's crazy. You he- you heard it here first. In case in case you weren't <laughs> already on that page, it's absolutely mind boggling and yeah. insane. So so we're covering an indie <laughs> film once again. Which honestly, yes. though, I really ended up enjoying this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we tell the people what we're doing? Yeah. So today we are doing Smash Independent Hit, It Follows. So this is a first time viewing for yourself. Yeah. Um, When you described it to me, I was like, sounds like corny, but like, (laughs) I'll bite, you know? And then I actually read in the Wikipedia that like the director said oh I didn't want to talk about it like I never wanted to discuss the plot because when you say it out loud it sounds like the worst thing ever (laughs) and I was like it does it does kind of sound bad when you just tell me like oh it's someone's like following you but they're not running it's like at a very slow pace Mm -hmm. but yeah it was really gripping it was also just the type of movie that I enjoy the way that the like field of colors looked Mm -hmm. and the very melancholy and uh, I don't know what the perfect word is but it's it's just like a very like slow burning film Mm -hmm. and everyone is really subdued but it it just builds to the like tension I think yeah I I think it's super well done I actually saw this in theaters when it came out I went to see it with my freshman year roommates I don't really know why we did because like none of us were very big like horror people but i remember when this movie was coming out there was a lot of buzz about it and people were yeah. saying it was really good so we went to see it and it and it was really good but then we did get like freaked out when we were in our dorm room later and it's literally because of the one of the forms that it takes which is the super tall man that like comes oh, through that the was doorway spooky yeah that's that's the only one that like really scares me in this movie is the tall man i agree but yeah, so shall we get into the numbers? 
Yeah, let's do it. So the film, like we said, it's an independent, so it had a limited release. Did you see it like Angelica or East Village Cinemas? East or Village. East yeah. Village Cinemas, yeah. I love that that place. It's just yeah. so cute. Um, so the film did have a really small budget. Honestly, I was surprised to learn it was one point three million. And then in the box office, they made $23.3 million. So really great return. Um, and in my opinion, like the low budget doesn't discount the movie at all. Like I think no. it's very well made. So Definitely, yeah. And they had, they had a super limited release. Like we said, I think it was only 1,200 theaters in the U.S. Yeah. So as we mentioned, uh, the writer-director, David Robert Mitchell, he actually conceived the film based on these recurring dreams that he had when he was a kid about being followed. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a quote from him, and he says, I didn't use those images for the film, but the basic idea and the feeling I used. From what I understand, it's an anxiety dream. Whatever I was going through at that time, my parents divorced when I was around that age, so I imagine it has something to do with that. The role that sexual transmission plays came later from uh, Mitchell's desire for something that could transfer between people. Yeah, the dream, anxiety dream makes sense to me. I feel like there was a lot of like trauma also surrounding mm-hmm. and the forms that the the thing would take on. I literally did not think about a sexually transmitted infection the entire time. I like it literally was so far from my mind. I was like, oh, it's weird that it's like only sex, huh? But I just it just never crossed my mind because I was like, there's so many more and so many more um other interesting themes mm-hmm. for me personally. Yeah, definitely. It's a it's a pretty common like analysis or kind of way that people understand this film is that it's like supposed to be a cautionary tale about you know stis but Mm -hmm. yeah i think that there's so much more to it beyond just that like definitely i think it's much more like the the entity the it i think is more so like a manifestation of existential dread and like the disillusionment of growing up and letting go of your childhood which Mm -hmm. like sex is often a signet like a signifier of that that you're moving into like an adult stage of life then just like don't have sex or you'll get followed and die i guess (laughs) would be like you know right So the film was also shot in late 2013, so tight turnaround, um, in Detroit, Michigan. And Mitchell used wide-angle lenses when filming to give the film an expansive look. I really liked the Mm -hmm. way it was filmed, especially when we're in nature, like when we're on the beach or we're in um, the forest. Like having the wide lens really helps, um, like, move the film along. Mm -hmm. Um, And... He also cites the works of George Romero and John Carpenter, Halloween mm. as influences. Halloween, a little nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. And says as influences on the film's compositions and visual aesthetic. I also felt like there was a lot of a Sofia Coppola, <laughs> like the Virgin Suicides vibes, mm. like that malaise and like lay about and very just like brief conversation with almost no facial expressions. Yeah. But it still manages to feel really 
like realistic. Mm-hmm. It's a very minimalist film in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Um, even just beyond the the set dressing and, you know, the visuals of 100%, it. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of the visuals, they also want to keep the time frame of the movie really undefined so that it kind of resembles a dream. So we see some cars from recent times, whereas also like there are other cars that are quite old, like ones that look like they're kind of out of the 50s, out of the 80s. Uh, We also see some older television sets when the kids are watching movies and stuff. But then we also, of course, have the very like futuristic looking shell phone that Yara uses as her like little Mm -hmm. e-reader that she's constantly reading on. I just thought it looked so funny because there isn't any other like advanced technology that they show. Mm -hmm. So just to show the shell phone, which is like so clearly a compact with like a Kindle style book put on it. I was just like, this is so silly. Like it kept taking me out of it. Also, Yara's character in general kept taking me out of the movie. I was like, Yara, you're such a freak. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, does it look ridiculous? Yes, but I absolutely want one of those. Are you kidding me? I Googled it. Like, I just want to whip it open. Read my little like, books. E-reader shell. <laughs> pink Plan shell e-reader. e-reader. Yeah. Amazon.com. What do you have for me? Oh, my um, God. But then, of course, also in the opening as well, we also see modern cars in that scene as well as uh, she's using like a more modern cell phone in that too. So they keep things really ambiguous. Mm-hmm. The costume design of the film also makes it pretty ambiguous. I would say that the clothes do look pretty early 2000s, if not like late 90s. But it it is like the cutoff jean shorts, very early 2000s. The dress that she wears on her date, like very early. Oh, and the puka shell necklace that she wears on her date. Yes. When she's walking with her sister and her sister is smoking, Mm -hmm. um, she has this big like cardigan on, like it's like a chunky like – yeah. And I was just like very, very 2000s right now. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the fact that it is autumn, there are scenes where we see people in like shorts and tank top or mm-hmm. like wearing very little clothes or wearing jeans and like or swimming outdoors. Right. But it's never with any like discomfort or, um, being cold or hot or anything Mm -hmm. like it's it is very ambiguous in that regard I think if anything that was more so what led me to make feel like the film was ambiguous Mm -hmm. especially because when she goes for that like random swim when she's like on the shore and then Mm -hmm. she like comes out I was like is this real like I can't tell if that actually happened or not um but I I do think that they really paid attention to the small details of the film, and that comes through. Yeah, definitely. It, it feels very dreamlike, which just adds to how unsettling it is. Uh, yeah. And uh, our last little thing is just a quote from the director. As we mentioned, a lot of critics uh, will kind of interpret this film as a metaphor for STIs, but the director actually said, I'm not personally interested in where it comes from. To me, it's dream logic in the sense that they're in a nightmare. And when you're in a nightmare, there's no solving the nightmare, even if you try to solve it. And he says that while Jay opens herself up to danger through sex, 
the one way in which she can free herself from that danger, you know, is also sex. And he says, we're here for a limited amount of time and we can't escape our mortality, but love and sex are two ways which we can at least temporarily push death away. Interesting. Yeah. Well, before we get into it, uh, we just want to remind you that out now on our Patreon is our October bonus episode. We did Coraline this month featuring our lovely intern, Kate. So definitely go check it out. It was a really fun episode to record. Mm -hmm. We have so much interesting fun facts, little tidbits about the film. And if you're interested in that, just click the link in our bio or the show notes. Go check it out. Yeah. And with that being said, should we just very, very slowly (laughs) walk right into it? (laughs) Let's do it. So in the opening of the film, we see this very classic American suburb, you know, tree-lined suburban street. It's autumn. We see some leaves on the ground. And we pan over to this house where we see a girl just like jet right out the front door in high heels and basically what looks like pajamas. She's kind of wearing like white bloomers and like a little white top. And she just like stops and stands in the street staring at something. And one of the neighbors asks if she's okay. And this girl is just like has her eyes fixed on something off off camera. Her dad then comes out of the house and asks if she's okay, and Annie says, I'm fine, dad, and she kind of like runs around in a loop before going back into the house, pushing past her father. She then comes back out with her bag and her keys, gets in the car, and drives away. And this is all done in like one take, and the camera is kind of moving in a circular motion, and we'll see this throughout this entire film. The camera is constantly moving in a circular motion as well, which, again, really adds to that sort of dreamlike feeling where there's no beginning, no end, and everything just feels kind of, like, surreal. They were like, we have a low budge. We have this one special camera feature. We got to use it. (laughs) Yeah, we we have have this one dolly, (laughs) and we're going to use it as much as we can. Exactly. Um, I did watch a YouTube video with – I think it was with this – I can't remember if it was the cinematographer or the director, but Mm -hmm. just doing like the – you know how New York Times do like anatomy of a scene with like the director in a scene? They did it for this opening shot and Mm -hmm. the reason that she's in like heels and like pajamas, which is very weird and unpractical outfit is because like horror movies would do that all the time where they put like the hot girl in like high heels and make her run around. So as like a reference to that, which I thought was funny. funny. That's clever. Yeah. I do feel it is an interesting concept to be like, I'm running out of the house. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I'm waiting and now I'm running over here and I'm running back in the house. Yeah. Like that cyclical mm-hmm. style, like it's, yeah, it's really interesting to to feel like counterintuitive, yeah. but also does reference horror movies where they like leave and then they're like, we got to go back. Yeah. <laughs> So Let me go back in the house and go upstairs and break all the rules. <laughs> right. I thought that was clever. Mm-hmm. So we see this woman, um, according to like IMDb, I think the character's name is Annie, but we never yeah. actually hear this. I did and read it's supposed to be a reference to Halloween, um, Annie, oh, really? the character. Because there's a lot of references to Halloween in this movie, especially. I mean, 
a character like an evil killer character that moves at a walking mm-hmm. pace hello michael myers welcome to the chat <laughs> <laughs> so we go to this beach where annie is sitting she's sitting on the shore and she's just illuminated by the headlights of her car and her cell phone rings and she answers it and says hi dad she tells her dad how much she loves him and her mom and says that she just wanted them to know. She's like, I know it can be a little shit sometimes. I don't know why I do that, but I love you both so much. Then in the morning, in the place that Annie was, we pan over to her body and it's like mangled. Like we can see one of her legs has been broken and her heels are still on. Um, It's really graphic and awful. Yeah, it's a pretty shocking image of her leg like bent backwards yeah but funnily enough like one of the only deaths in this movie there's actually not a lot of deaths in this movie it's all just like anxiety that they build up Mm -hmm. so after this opening we then get to our main characters we see this girl getting into the pool in her backyard and uh this girl is jay our main character she is in the water we see her you know admiring the squirrel on the telephone wire and she sees this little bug on her arm. And that's when her sister Kelly comes out to tell her that her friends Yara and Paul are here and like asks if Jay wants to watch a movie with them. But Jay says she's actually going out tonight. And Kelly asks, Oh, if it's, is it that guy? And Jay says, yes, she likes him. And that's when we see these two little neighbor kids spying on Jay from their yard like through the trees and they're like you know probably 12 year old boys if i had to guess their age Mm -hmm. and she's like i see you and they like duck out of the way she's like ha 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 so they do this all the time just spying on the hot neighbor (laughs) yeah so jay goes inside after her swim and I wrote the rest of the kids because it was really difficult to discern how old they were. Right. Because, like, Jay (laughs) is in university. I'm assuming she's a freshman. So she's probably, like, 17, 18, if I had to guess. And I'm guessing that, like, Kelly, Paul, and Yara are, like, 15, 16-ish. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, they all went to – I think they all went to high school together at some point, right? So yeah, it just kind of depends. Because I I noticed at one point, like, well, I'll I'll I don't want to ruin it, but I just <laughs> noticed that during a school hours at one point, Kelly and Paul were working, so I wasn't sure if they were out of mm. high school and just not in university, or if they just like it was like an after school job type of thing. Yeah, I assume an after-school job, but I actually don't know. I didn't. I didn't even think about that. It is again. It's so ambiguous. They don't really it's tell very us ambiguous. much. It takes a while to even realize that like she's in college. Right. I thought she was in high school. I was so mm-hmm. confused. But it, it it's around like I don't even want to say early twenties, like late teens. Yeah. Right. So Jay goes inside, and Paul, Yara, and Kelly are watching. I don't know if they're watching Killers from Space and the Giant Claw right now or if that's a movie that another character watches mm. later on. Because I Googled it, but 
Right. Um, it didn't specify. Yeah. So let us know if you know the movie. Yeah. And Yara is reading the idiot on her shell phone. On that clamshell, baby. <laughs> Hit me on the shell. Yeah. So Jay's like, oh, is it good? And she's like, I don't know yet. It's about Paul. Uh-huh. And Paul, <laughs> a.k.a. the main character in Atypical. Yes. Um, and Jay says, hey to Paul. And then she like sprinkles her wet hair over her sister. And she's like, oh, stop. And Yara's like, I have an idea. And farts. <laughs> And just farts next to Paul. And moving right along. (laughs) Yara is not someone that I would want to hang out with, I got to (laughs) say. She seems like a solid friend. Yeah. She's just very, like, eccentric. Mm -hmm. She's an eccentric. She gives me, like, um, I feel like she's, like, European (laughs) because – She's like does some weird shit and like doesn't seem to care. Like has like an utter unfallible confidence, mm. yeah. even though she's odd. That's true, and that gives European to me. <laughs> that reads European to me. That's uh, that's European coded. <laughs> yeah. In the book we're um, reading for book club, which I finished by oh, the way, I just amazing. What do um, you think? Brief moment it, to discuss a perfect vintage. <laughs> yeah, I honestly was like. Ended up being really enthralled just mm-hmm. because I was like, I need to know how the story yeah. ends. Yeah. Like, I need to know. But the main, like, protagonist in mm-hmm. in the book, Leia, is always talking about um, the Chateau owner's daughter, Chloe, just being, like, cool and just, like, the yeah. coolest French teen. Mm-hmm. And you can tell, like, just from the details of, of the book, she's, like, queer. Like, she doesn't seem to be super, like... I mean, they don't talk about her appearance really, but I'm assuming Mm -hmm. she's like more of a nerdy gal, but she's has this utter confidence. And then I'm like, that's Yara. (laughs) That's Yara. Except she's not chic. She's actually kind of like gross and nasty. (laughs) That's what that's what it's like when this personality type grows up in um, you know, suburban Detroit (laughs) rather than uh in a chateau in France. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah. Um where are we? What are we talking about? <laughs> the bedroom. Yes. The puka shell necklace. Oh, God. <laughs> Maybe the scariest part of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you have on such a cute outfit. Take off the puka shell necklace. Get yourself a crisscross bra. Yeah. And call it a day. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, to, to set the scene, she's getting ready for this date, right? Um, but I do think that it it does speak to her being younger and still yeah. having a sort of childlike mindset because, yeah, wearing like a dress where you can see your bra straps is like not something that you really care about as much when you're a kid. You're just like, oh, whatever. But like mm-hmm. she she's not, you know, quote unquote sophisticated enough to be like, I own a strapless bra. Um or to even like necessarily think that that's necessary. And then the puka shell necklace again is very like childlike. It's a very puka shell like choker. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think it speaks to her just being closer to childhood than adulthood. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, this is such an outfit I would have worn in not the necklace, maybe, but the definitely the dress and the pink lacy forever twenty one one hundred. Yeah, where it's like 
it's not like the one that cuts right under the boobs. It's more of like at your your waist. waist. Yeah. With yeah. Your and belt, then you just like belt. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, it, it's so bad. I wouldn't be caught dead wearing it now. And she wears it with the boots too. And I was like, no, <laughs> stop. Yeah. But we go to the movie theater and this is like a very retro movie theater. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay and her date are outside of the theater. They're either waiting to like buy tickets or just waiting in line to go in. While they're in line, Jay asks him to play the trade game. And she explains that you scope out the crowd, you pick someone to trade places with, it can be anyone for any reason, and then the other person gets two guesses to figure out who you picked and why you want to trade places. And her date looks around for a moment and finds his person. Um, Just to give you a little insight onto the theater that uh, the scene is at. So this theater is called the Redford Theater. It's a historic Japanese-style theater with a fully functioning Wurlitzer organ. Which we see in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's in the old Redford neighborhood of Detroit. And the movie The Evil Dead from 1981 premiered there. So no way. A little piece of horror history for you. I think it's really interesting that they set this movie in Detroit. I feel like that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, definitely. It's always like California. We're in a Pasadena suburb or something like that. Because even though it was suburban, it looked like normal, like middle class, lower middle class. Like it was it wasn't an especially nice suburb as like generally Mm -hmm. smaller houses and stuff. So I was like, wow, this looks like a place I've actually been to (laughs) before. Not just all McMansions stacked on top of each other. Yeah. So we go inside the theater, and inside Jay tries to guess who um, – what's his name? Hugh. Hugh has picked. She initially picks this, like, guy who's making out with a girl on the stairs, but he says no. And he points over to, like, a little family of three, and Jay thinks that he's pointing at the dad who's, like, helping his son drink from the water fountain. But he's like, no, I actually picked the kid. He says that it would be great to have, you know, be that age and have your whole life ahead of you. And you could also go to the bathroom anytime you want. And she's like, yeah, he's probably taking a shit right now. <laughs> <They're> like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, dad, dad. <laughs> I'm like, this child is probably like seven yeah, or he's eight. Not that like, young. He's not he's in not diapers. <laughs> so we go into the theater and the first shot is like from above where we mm. see the world and sir and yeah. someone's like dee, 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 dee. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's beautiful <laughs> it really stuck out to me um because i was like oh my god is he about to like <laughs> is he gonna play the music for the whole film <laughs> i mean there are there are a lot of synths in this but not so much organ sounds yeah. but a lot of 80s synth for sure Yes. Um, So Jay and Hugh are sitting in the theater and Jay says it's her turn and she looks around. She finds her person and Hugh looks around. He's 
now guessing what her, who her person is. And he's like, oh, is it the girl in the back in the yellow dress? And Shay's like, oh, I don't see her. And he's like, what are you talking about? She's right there. And then his face looks like he has just um, – his stomach fell out of his butthole. Like, I can't even describe it. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, are you kidding? And he's like, I'm not feeling well. Can we leave? <laughs> and he just grabs her hand and, like, runs outside. I mean, I got to say, if I was on a date with a guy and he did that, I'd be like, so his ex just walked in, obviously. And that's what Jay asks yeah. him. And yeah. he's just like, no, it's I'm fun. I just felt sick. You know, I feel better being outside. And they leave. And she doesn't really question it that much, but I would. Yeah, Jay seems also very, like, laid back. Yeah. Um, If it were me, I'd be like, oh, my God, tell me what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'd be, like, very Shoshana about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very Shoshana Shapiro, yeah. Yes. Um, Um, But she's – Jay's a naive gal at this point especially, so. Oh, my God. (laughs) I was thinking this morning about how – I'm like a cougar and my boyfriend's like four and a half years younger than me. But I thought you were going to say my boyfriend's four years old. Oh my God. <laughs> no, but the other day he was like, he mentioned, um, what the fuck did he say? It was so, it was, it made me so pissed off. Um, cause we graduated in 2018. No, I think I mentioned something happening in college or, like, maybe, like, 2016 or something. He was, like, I was 16 mm-hmm. years old. And I was, like, shut You're the like, fuck shut up. like, shut your damn mouth. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, and that was, like, disgusting. <laughs> but my, the, my point being, like, I feel mm-hmm. like if, I don't know, we were somewhere and, and he was, like, oh, my God. Like, I saw my ex or whatever. I'd be, like, oh, hi. Little girl, would you like a lollipop? <laughs> did your mommy know you're you're out this Yeah, way? did your mommy know you're out? So I can't even like. I mean, I'm being rude for no reason. Like they're fine people, but like I just don't have yeah. any sense of like I I don't care because right. it's like we're at such different places. Yeah, in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, it also in Jay's position, we get the reveal that uh, he was 21. So he's a couple year, years older than her. I assume yeah. if we're operating on the assumption that she's like a freshman, maybe a sophomore. Um, but I, I really can't put her past being like 20 years old in my head. Yeah. But yeah, so there's like a little bit of a power thing where she's like, oh, this older guy who likes me and. Whatever, I'll just go with the flow, even though he's acting super fucking weird. But they end up having an okay rest of the night. They go to this mm-hmm. restaurant. We see them talking and laughing. Another clue to me that she's under 21 is that there's only one drink in front of them. Oh, yeah, and she sips it. Yeah, and which I assume he ordered. It looks like the biggest champagne coupe you've seen in your life. Yeah. I think um, it's like a, a margarita or yeah. something at a Mexican restaurant. Yeah, so... That also insinuates that she's a little bit younger. But behind them, in the window, we see a figure walking towards them in the parking lot. So we then go to another day. Uh, Jay and her sister Kelly are walking down the sidewalk, 
And Kelly thanks Jay for walking with her. And Jay's like, well, you know that mom knows that you smoke, right? Because Kelly is smoking a cigarette. And Kelly says, yeah, but she'd cry if she actually saw it. Jay then chimes in and says, no, she'll probably just like steal your cigarettes. We don't really get to know the mom at all other than very brief shots of her from behind. We actually don't really ever see a clear shot of her face. No, we don't. But every time we do see her, with the exception of, I think, one shot of her, because she's literally in the hospital in this one shot, um, she always has wine. (laughs) Either an empty bottle, a glass that's full. So it's... I didn't realize that actually until you just said it, but I remember seeing it on her dresser and like... And she's sitting at the kitchen table while everybody's like watching the movie, just like drinking a bottle of wine by herself. Mm -hmm. So... Kelly then asks her sister about Hugh, the guy that she's dating, and Jay says it's going well mostly, but he was acting kind of weird last night. You know, he said he wasn't feeling well, but it seemed like there was something else on his mind. And Kelly asks if they've had sex yet, and Jay says no. She knows he wants to, but, you know, just seemed kind of off last night. So Kelly then, you know, stumps out her cigarette and asks how he smells. And Jay says, like, cherry Coke, banana, nicotine. That actually sounds kind of fun. Yeah. I was like, sign me up for that. Where's that? (laughs) Where's uh, that cologne? Elf bar flavor. (laughs) Um, So that night, Jay and Hugh walk into the woods. We see Hugh, like, holding a six-pack. And they sit by the lake and start making out. And next thing we know, Jay suggests that they go back to the car. So they go back to the car and end up having sex for the first time in the back seat. And afterwards, we see Hugh get out and go to the trunk. And Jay is like leaning out of the back seat, kind of like grazing the grass that's growing between the concrete with her fingers. And she talks about how she used to daydream about being old enough to go on dates and driving around with friends in their cars. And she says this like whole part really like got to me because I was like, I felt that it was just very relatable. Yeah. Um, She says, I had this image of myself holding hands with a really cute guy listening to music on the radio and driving along a pretty road, maybe somewhere up north, after the trees started to change color. It was never about going anywhere, just having some kind of freedom, I guess. Now we're old enough, but where the hell do we go, right? So Hugh comes back to the back seat and starts kissing Jay's back, but after she finishes speaking... Suddenly, he covers her mouth with a cloth and just holds it there. He's very forceful and quick, and he keeps it there until she relaxes and passes out. So he, like, chloroforms her. Yeah. Really crazy. Yeah. I was like, this movie is – by this point, I was like, I think I must go to sleep. Like, I can't (laughs) – I live alone. This is much too much for me. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. If you live alone, this is probably not one you want to watch with the lights off. Not because it's like particularly scary, but it's It's just unsettling. It's very unsettling. Yeah. Yes. 
So the next thing we know, Jay wakes up strapped to a chair in an abandoned parking garage. Not She's actually strapped to like a wheelchair. No, 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 no. No! <laughs> so Hugh is pacing around behind her, kind of like looking off into the distance. She wakes up from, you know, being chloroformed and asks, what's going on? And he says he's not going to hurt her. But obviously she doesn't believe him because he just attacked her. But he's like, I need you to remember what I'm saying. And he says, somebody gave it to me. I passed it to you back in the car. It can look like people you know, or it can be a stranger in a crowd. Whatever helps it get close to you. Sometimes I think it looks like people you love just to hurt you, scare you, make fun of you. So Hugh then sees a figure in the distance and says, there it is, there it is. So he whips Jay around in the wheelchair to look at it. And we see down below a naked woman walking towards them slowly, you know, stepping over the train tracks Mm -hmm. and coming up to see them. The way that the camera moves with her, it's like right in front Mm -hmm. of Jay's face. It's really like, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was like, yeah. Anxiety inducing. So Jay is incredibly freaked out and asks who that is. And Jay like wheels her back in the wheelchair and says she can get rid of it. She just needs to find someone to sleep with as soon as possible. If it kills her, then it'll come after him again. So the figure just keeps walking closer and closer. And Jay is freaking out because she's also like tied to this wheelchair. She can't escape. And she's like, what do you want? Like, what does it want? And Hugh says, I'm just doing this to help you, to show you that it's real. And just before it reaches Jay, Hugh whips her around in the wheelchair once again, wheels her out of there, and drives them off. Literally Literally a nightmare. Exactly. Yeah. Not only is the van you're on a date with like chloroforming you and then tying mm-hmm. you to a wheelchair, like um, he's whipping you around and showing you like this person that's following yeah. you. Like it's just yeah. a nightmare. So later that evening, we see Kelly, Yara, and Paul playing, I think it's Old Maid mm-hmm. at the house on the uh, like porch area. And Yara, in her wisdom, decides to share an excerpt from The Idiot. And she says, I think that if one is faced by inevitable destruction, if a house is falling upon you, for instance, one must feel a great longing to sit down, close one's eyes, and wait, come what may. And Kelly tells her that's why they're drinking on the porch. <clears throat> LOL. Then Yara asks where Jay is, and Kelly tells her she is on a date. So they keep playing, and Yara's like, oh, with who? And Kelly tells her it's someone new, and Yara tells her Jay's so pretty, it's annoying. And they're like, yeah, but she's nice at least. Which I thought was interesting because she is pretty, but she's Mm -hmm. not like – she doesn't really try. Like she's like very low-maintenance, laid back. Yeah. She's also quite introverted Mm -hmm. as well. Like she keeps to herself a lot, which is just different. I feel like when they're like, oh, wow, this like super pretty girl is like charismatic and just like magnetic. Um, Mm -hmm. She kind of reminds me of you. 
because I feel like because you're not really <laughs> shy, like you talk to people fine and everything, but you're not one to be like, I'm going to make myself the center of attention. Look at me. I'm <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I literally read a letterboxd review yeah. earlier that was like, go girl, give us nothing. <laughs> Like in reference to Jay. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but while they're talking about this, we see Hugh's car drive up and Hugh keeps the car running but gets out and goes into the back seat to get Jay. And Kelly yells out from the porch, is everything okay? But Hugh just tells Jay not to let it touch her and drives off. And Jay is like, Left in the road in her brawn underwear, she stumbles toward the house. It's a very scary scene also because they don't mm-hmm. even know what happened to her. So it looks like she was, like, fucking tied up and just, like... Assaulted. Like yeah, ex- yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we cut to, like, a little bit later. The neighbors across the street look out the window and they see, like the police there's an ambulance and there's just like a ton of people that have crowded around to watch what's going on and uh the neighbor greg who is the same age as jay they went to high school together he asked what happened and the girl who's with him his date presumably she's like oh i don't know but those people are such a mess so we get a little more insight into jay's family background yeah what we know so far is her mother is likely a an alcoholic and also that there was likely police and ambulance at the house before we don't really get a lot of information about her father except for that he's not in the picture anymore yeah so we see jay talking to the police they ask if the sex that she had with Hugh was consensual and she says yes and they ask her if she'd ever seen the woman before Jay says no. They ask where Hugh lives, and she says she's never been inside, but she knows where it is. Uh, he never took her in there because he was embarrassed of of where he lived. Jay does end up going to the hospital. I'm assuming they just do like some tests and stuff because of her experience. She was drugged. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then in the morning, we see a scene of the police at the um, abandoned like car park I guess is where he took her Um, and they're just looking around investigating then we cut to Jay's bedroom there's a sandwich on her desk sitting untouched and Jay just lays in bed unmoving clearly very depressed yeah we see Jay's mom you know back of her head from behind uh, talking to Greg's mom actually you know who lives across the street And Greg's mom asks if Jay caught anything, but Jay's mom says, no, she doesn't think so. And they talk about how the things that Hugh said to her were like really sick and twisted. Mm -hmm. We go into the bathroom. Jay is looking in the mirror. She like looks at her body and then she like opens up the um, elastic waistband of her underwear and like looks down and just starts like breathing really heavily she's really scared i guess this part alludes to like sti ish i could see but i get i mean for me this moment especially kind of hammered home less so the the idea of an sti but just like the emotional 
I guess, trauma from what she just had beyond just like, you know, the yeah. crazy fucking, this thing is going to start following you. But this guy. Well, lied to yeah, her. Exactly. Was deceptive. Yeah. Like she, you know, was dating this guy who she thought genuinely liked her only to find out that yeah. he had orchestrated this entire thing to, like mm-hmm. he used her. And obviously, you know, everybody has a different relationship with sex, but for a lot of people, it's a special thing or maybe something that you only use with people you feel more connected with, whatever you may want to use it for. And I think that it feels like a big betrayal of trust. And this kind of has signaled her move into adulthood more so. We, from this point on, kind of see her disillusionment with adulthood really come to a head and that's why i think that monologue she has earlier is so pivotal and important in understanding this movie because it's so much more than just like stds you know there's the Mm -hmm. entire emotional baggage and trauma that can happen when you do have relationships with people yeah absolutely so i mean this is also the first time we see her react to what had happened Mm -hmm. because from the time she gets home, she goes straight to the hospital. We see her, like, in bed. But um, she's just very freaked out. She's, like, having an anxiety attack. And out of nowhere, this, like, dodgeball hits the window. And Jay looks out into the yard terrified. But she doesn't see anything. So she just goes back to what she was doing. But we pan out of the house and the camera zooms out and there's someone hiding underneath her window oh yeah it's the the neighbor boy yeah, yeah. i figured she was like teeny yeah teeny, but it was creepy it was like mm-hmm. foreshadowing yes so we go to school the next day jay sits in class while her teacher reads uh the t.s Eliot poem the love song of jay alfred Proofrock. Proofrock? Is that right? I, I don't know. I have no idea. I, well, this is the I just copied yeah, and pasted yeah. this. But <laughs> any um, I guess proofrock. English majors in the chat, let me know. Hit us up. But Jay looks out the window, and this is totally a direct pull from Halloween. Laurie sitting in her class, looking out the window, seeing somebody yeah. across, seeing, you know, Michael Myers across the street. But Jay looks out the window and we see on like the quad of this university, you know, people lounging around, people walking through doing their thing. And then this old woman in a hospital gown slowly walking straight towards Jay. Uh, Terrifying. So Jay obviously notices that this is out of the norm like this is not real so she picks up her stuff she runs out of class she goes down like the hallway and there's these two girls standing in the hallway just kind of talking to each other and when jay turns around she sees the old woman walking down the hall towards her and jay says hello and the two girls like look at her and they're just like hello they obviously don't see the old woman so this also sets up like the the convention for us that People who do not have it cannot see it. Mm-hmm. But Jay, you know, runs out of the hallway and drives home. Yeah. It's 
Spooky, spooky. Yeah. And like, again, this also adds to the idea that it is a, a manifestation of existential dread. It is an older figure. In society, a lot of us have a fear of growing old, of aging and dying and all of that. Definitely. I mean, the biggest theme in the movie is, at least in my opinion, the like coming of age, mm-hmm. like life cycle, life um, sort of thing, way more so than any thing having to do with sex yeah definitely and that's also again mirrored by the camera work this cyclical nature that it works in yeah we're film majors yeah we we know a thing or two about a dolly a thing or two (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we go to the ice cream shop that kelly and paul work at and we just see like jay holding her ice cream and i was like it looks so good (laughs) I was literally I was like, saying, get, let me get some of that. I was literally just um, saying yesterday, like, I don't know the last time I had a banana split, bruh. but I need a banana split in my life. We don't must. have banana splits enough as, as people. No, for sure. Yeah. We, there's something so miraculous about a banana and mm-hmm. the ice cream, in, the chocolate syrup, and a cherry on top. Yeah. Three scoops of whipped ice cream, cream, two halves of banana, mm-hmm. sprinkles, whipped cream. A little chocolate sauce. Do you like nuts on yours? I don't mind them, but I don't need them. You know, if they're like there, peanuts. if they're there, I'm not mad about it. Yeah. The last time I had a banana split was this summer. Wow. I wish I could say the same. I wish I could say <laughs> the last time I had a banana split was like right now in this moment. Right. <laughs> and it's funny because I actually remember the last last time I got a banana split, yeah. which was a couple years before that. But I don't know why I remember this specifically. I think I just really love ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a significant, you know, marker. Yeah, a, a significant marker in my life. I remember yeah. I was with Maggie. We went to this weird, like, little candy shop mm. in, in Wallingford, Connecticut, I think. And we got – I got a banana split. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in this ice cream shop. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not craving ice cream. You're fine. Yeah. And Kelly asks if the woman said anything to her. So she's clearly told them what's happening. And Jay tells them he said he passed it on to her. He said it was going to follow her. And Kelly's like, that's bullshit. You know it. Um, She's like, I know, I know. And Paul asks what's supposed to be following her. And she's like, I don't know. And Kelly suggests that she tell their mom. But Jay is like, I'm not going to do that. So... Paul offers to stay over and <laughs> Kelly's like big fucking eye roll, but he's like on the couch or something. And they're both like, they simultaneously when he brings it up, say no. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and Jay actually does change her mind when she thinks about it. She's like, maybe on the couch, but Kelly tells her she should be more worried about waking up to Paul humping her leg. <laughs> not super wrong i guess (laughs) yeah i know i know and paul's like i'll stay up all night and keep a lookout for anything weird i'm like paul have you looked in the fucking mirror yeah your bones are gonna break like a toothpick (laughs) imagine the gall at like 15 to be like yeah i'll protect you (laughs) i've got this he's like Nothing is going to harm you. <laughs> Not while I'm around. 
No one is alone. <laughs> Yeah, but they do agree. They feel some sort of safety with Paul's presence. (laughs) (laughs) No, no shade to the actor, obviously. But no shade to the respect to the actor. All respect, yeah. But you know, respectfully, how do you keep that thing up there? People are typecast in different ways, and that's all I have to say about that. So <laughs> that night, there's a reason that he's he doesn't look like he fucks. Okay, yeah, he's he's not giving Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson I look like I fuck. bodies, bodies, no, bodies. <laughs> absolutely not. So that night, we see some exterior shots of the house. All seems quiet. Inside, Kelly and Jay are brushing their teeth, while Yara, who I guess is also sleeping over, it's a little group hang she is uh picking at her toenails and eating some candy so <laughs> can't do your thing girl Yara, you little freak <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile paul is sitting on the couch watching a movie one thing that i also noticed is that they have two tvs stacked on top of each other i don't know why what but yeah it's in a, the living room yeah it's a smaller tv stacked on top of a bigger tv and i do know That's that at weird. one point she brings a small tv outside when she's swimming so I don't know what's up with that, but weird. It's it is very retro. Like they are they're like timeless, and I'm like it's just an old TV. <laughs> it's just a big box TV. Yeah, like, it, it's not a flat screen essentially. Right. But Kelly and Yara sleep in Kelly's room. We see their mom is asleep as well. It's insinuated that she is passed out because she's wearing her shoes on her bed, and we pan over to her dresser where we see an empty bottle of wine mm-hmm. jay eventually makes her way downstairs you know wrapped up in her comforter and tells paul that she can't sleep in her room and he's like oh you can you can sleep here with me if you really want to and she <laughs> sits on the couch <laughs> and i'm like kelly's so right yeah absolutely So Jay sits on the couch and Paul asks if she's okay and Jay just kind of shrugs, but he's like, it's fine. Everything's going to be cool. And he tells her that, you know, he actually hasn't spent the night here since they were kids. And Jay says, well, there's a reason for that. And he's like, no, like, I'm serious. (laughs) It's, It's cool spending time with you. Jay then tells Paul that he was actually her first kiss. And he's like, What? (laughs) <laughs> he puts his little hair behind his ear. He's like, what? What are you talking about? And she's like, what? Like, I wasn't yours? And he's like, no, no. Yeah, you, you were. I'm like, Paul's a virgin. <laughs> Obvi- <laughs> Obviously, you were his first kiss. So. And his last. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert, maybe. <laughs> I'm like, Paul's a dog, bro. <laughs> Paul's got that dog in him. <laughs> Oh, man. Sorry, Paul is the actual casualty of this episode. Um, (laughs) So we're hashtag we hate Paul on this (laughs) podcast. He he does. I mean, we'll get into this later, but he is giving me a little bit of some incel vibes, I will say. But that's for later. So where am I? Yeah, they were each other's first kisses. (laughs) And then Jay is like, yeah, but then you kissed Kelly you know, that's kind of gross, kissing two that sisters. That is a bad look. Yeah. You don't want to do that. So 
Paul then mentions a childhood memory, the time that they found dirty magazines in the alley behind Barry's Pizza, and they talk about how they sprawled out the magazines on Greg's front yard and looked at them, and then Greg's mom came home and scooped them up, and then Jay tells him that her mom actually gave them the sex ed talk the next day, and Paul's like, yeah, I got one too. Out of nowhere glass shatters and Paul's like I'll go check actually he doesn't Jay's like you have to go check (laughs) and Paul leaves to go check it out and he's like okay there's a window broken in the kitchen but I don't see anyone like no one's in here and Jay's like okay um maybe we should call the police and and Paul's like yeah I'll wake up Kelly she can call And he goes upstairs, leaving Jay alone. Bro. I just don't understand that. Yeah. So she gets up from the couch and walks over to the kitchen where we hear banging. And Jay looks over to see this woman clearly, like, hurt. And I think her hands might be tied up. And she's wearing just, like very disheveled clothing like it looks like she's been assaulted she's like one boob out right i think her like knees are maybe tied together or something um so we see her walking and she's like peeing as she's walking it's it's a really just like unsettling unsettling image and it does make me wonder because like hugh hypothesized that like it'll take the form of whatever you know will let it get close to you Mm-hmm. That I would not really let get close to me necessarily. So there are some forms that it takes that are like really terrifying. Yeah. That don't seem like it's in its best interest to take form of. Yeah. I guess I, w- I was wondering that too while we were watching. Um, I was like, okay, why is this the image now? Mm-hmm. Like the last form makes sense. Yeah. But this one in particular, I was like, is this because, like, she was tied up and it's, like, making her, you know, like, revisit her trauma or Mm – I yeah, I was curious why this was the figure. Yeah, I I think it's more so supposed to be a manifestation of fear and Mm -hmm. um, that that makes sense for this. It doesn't – I think that Hugh is just, like – wrong (laughs) it is like he was wrong (laughs) in what he's like oh like it'll take form of this or like it'll look like people that it loves just to hurt you i kept thinking that it was going to be someone close to her Mm -hmm. they were going to end up being it right and that never happened and i was like okay there's there's one time there's like obviously twice where it takes form of people that she knows in particular um but it does have such an uncanny valley, like, deadness to its eyes that it is really instantly recognizable yeah. Yeah. that it's this entity and not the person because, yeah, the the eyes are super lifeless. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm sure that there's, like, some sort of analysis out there somewhere where people, like, break down exactly why, like, each of the forms that it takes and what, like, that mm-hmm. represents. Um, but it's interesting to see what what they've selected this one to me though does feel like for the shock factor yeah it does um because it's like very spooky spooky to see so jay 
runs and we see like the time moving semi slowly, like not a slow motion, but you can tell she's like running into action and the scene is kind of like slowed down to see her like bounding up the stairs and Paul and Kelly knock on her door and Jay tells them it's in the house and they tell her nothing is in the house, but she's like, I saw it in the kitchen and Paul tells her to open the door. Like they'll figure it out. There's nothing to worry about. So Jay gets up and walks over to the door and she opens it and tells Kelly and Paul to get in and locks the door again. Jay is freaking out and she needs water. She's just like, I need some water. I need some water. Like she's just not even in her right mind right now. And Kelly's like, okay, let me get you some. But she's like, no, you have to stay here. And Jay is just sobbing and telling them something is wrong with her. And Paul tells her someone broke the window. Like that really happened. And Jay tells him she saw a girl in the kitchen. And Kelly tells her she loves her. And Jay's like, oh, you don't believe me. Then there's a knock at the door. So Paul grabs a broom for defense. And Kelly goes over to the door and asks if it's their mom. But it's Yara's voice. She's like, guys, like, let me in. Jay's like, do not open the door. But they open it anyway. And it is Yara, but behind her is this figure of a tall Man, it is so creepy. Mm -hmm. And Jay screams and runs to the balcony, and she just climbs down and, like, books it. Yeah, this tall man absolutely scares the shit out of me, especially because they've, like, darkened his eyes as well. And the way that he, like, has to duck his head to, like, fit through the doorframe, it just... I'm unsettled. Very scary. I am not settled. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So outside we see Greg, the neighbor, in his car with yet another girl, and he watches as Jay just like rides off furiously on her bike barefoot while Paul, you know, runs out of the house telling her to wait. So Jay rides to the local park. She's sitting on the swing. She looks around but doesn't really see anything. We see her look up at the trees. And then in the distance, she can see figures walking towards her. So she actually stops swinging. We see her, like, dig her feet in the sand, which I thought was just, like, a cool-looking shot. Paul, Kelly, and Yara are the ones who are walking towards her. Thank God. And they're like, Jay, like, what are you doing? You could have hurt yourself. What's going on? And Jay just tells them that she is terrified, of course. Mm -hmm. And Kelly says that she is too. And Jay says, you can't tell her mom. She'll just freak out and she won't believe me. And then we see another person walking towards them. And Jay asks them if they can see that. They can. It's Greg, the neighbor. He came to check on her. <laughs> <laughs> they can. It's Greg. He is nosy. Yeah. He's at the park. Yes. So he asks what's going on. And Paul tells him that someone broke into the house. And he asks that they've called the police. But Jay just shakes her head no and says she doesn't want to go home. She wants to find Hugh and, like, get some freaking answers. Mm -hmm. So Greg asks, what did he really do to you? And then 
she doesn't answer. So I guess he just kind of starts like walking away. So she asks if he's leaving, but he's like, well, someone has to drive. So, so he's in. Greg's involved now. <laughs> Whoa. Power dynamic mm. between Paul and Greg. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they get in the car and off they go to find Hugh. And the first stop is to Hugh's like house um, because Jay has actually seen the exterior of the house, but she's never been invited in. Apparently because he was, like, embarrassed of where he lived. But it's really because he was squatting there, like, inside. The windows are all boarded up, and there are just cans hanging on strings, presumably, so he can hear if anyone tries to get through the windows. And Jay looks in his medicine cabinet. She sees some bottles of pills with no label. She looks in his closet, and a piece of the wall falls out. She gets spooked like it's going to be the thing but it's just kelly on the other side like this whole um dwelling is an inch away from crumbling yeah i actually have uh, another fun fact about this building so this uh house style is called the american four square and it was really popular through like the late 1800s through to like the 30s And many floor plans of the four square feature circular traffic patterns where one can go through several rooms and then return to the starting point without ever reversing their path. So like the kitchen to the vestibule, living room, dining room, back to the kitchen. Um, And then in some houses, there are adjoining bedrooms that share like closets and bathrooms. But the reason it's important is that this kind of fluid floor plan would make this house style particularly desirable if you needed an escape route because you can go around in a circle and exit back out. Ooh, spooky. And he does warn her, like, in the beginning, I think, where he's like, mm-hmm. don't ever go into a room that doesn't have more than one exit. Right. Yeah. Uh, so while they're exploring, Paul goes upstairs and looks through a box of his stuff Meanwhile, Yara is looking through the shelves in the kitchen. She is illuminating them with her shell phone. And Gre- <laughs> I know. I'm also like, so you're telling me the phones of the future don't have cameras? Mm. Or the or is past. Is just an e-reader of the future? <laughs> oh, yeah. Or the past. Greg is like checking her out and she like sees him. And she's like, oh, uh. but I don't know, like – if they just include that because they're like, yeah, Greg's horny. Like, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, upstairs, Paul finds some dirty magazines with tissues on top, which he just like gra- like brushes off. And I'm like, that's Ew. disgusting. Don't touch that. <laughs> yeah. And he looks through the magazines as Shay comes in and she looks out the window and notices someone walking in the distance. So as he's parsing through the magazines, Paul finds a photo and asks Jay to come over and take a look. So they look at the photo and see he's wearing a letterman jacket from Lawson High School. Mm. And Paul's like, okay, someone has to know his real name. Yeah. So Jay and Greg go to Lawson High School. They look through some old yearbooks. They then eventually go back to the car and tell everyone that Hugh's real name is Jeff Redmond. So Kelly asks if they should go to the police, but Jay says no. And 
we see like she's obviously pretty shaken up by learning his real identity because it of course brings back memories of how she was like manipulated and uh basically used for this horrible horrible thing so greg like rubs her shoulder to comfort her and paul is just absolutely paul has little like steam <laughs> like pouring out of his ears he's like he's like why i oughta like his fist yeah. starts shaking and he starts convulsing um because he's jealous and he's a baby yeah and he thinks he's entitled to this woman when he's literally 15 whatever <laughs> whatever <laughs> They then decide to go to Jeff's house, and I'm like, there's such a leap from knowing his name to finding his address, but whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Someone answers the door. It's his mother, and she actually invites Jay and all of her friends into the house. Like, She's like, yeah, of course Jeff is here. Do you want to come in? Do your friends want to come in? I'm like, okay, lady. Yep. (laughs) Sure. So Jeff – sits with Jay and the rest of the group in the yard. And at this point, I'm like, he is literally talking to them. Like, he didn't chloroform her and fucking tie her to a wheelchair. Yeah. They're all, like, very amicable. Mm-hmm. They're also sitting in a circle. My God, the circles continue. The circle of Death in this case. But <laughs> So, Jeff gives them the lowdown on it and says that even though it's following her he can still see it it's not done with him either and mentions that he told her before all she can do is pass it along to someone else and it should be easy for her to sleep with someone like she's a girl and greg tells jay this isn't real and jeff says he's not safe either they shouldn't even be in the same place he's like get get the hell out or whatever and he apologizes and tells him that someone did this to him too. And they ask who it was. And he tells them it was a one night stand at a bar. But Greg is like, I don't believe you. And I was really curious to find out who it was or like what the story mm. behind that is because I do think Greg is right. I think he's lying. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because like, it doesn't seem to me like he would need to go to the lengths that he did, like renting a fake apartment under a fake name and all that kind of stuff Yeah, to do this. Well, I think that he didn't need to do that to sleep with right. her, but to not get in trouble for like tying right. her up and all that stuff. That's true, yeah. But it is like I'm, – I'm curious if it has to do with the girl who's in the picture, mm. like – I wonder if he, like, cheated on his girlfriend or his girlfriend cheated on him and gave it to him or something. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. But but then Jeff sees a girl walking by them and starts freaking out. He asks the group if they can see her. Everyone's like, yeah, we can. So he relaxes a little bit and he tells Jay that it's always coming for her, but only at a walking pace. If she wants to drive somewhere, it'll give her time to think if she wants to pass it on to someone else. Yeah. I remember when I watched this for the first time and I was like, "How? what would I do if I was in this situation? And I think I would like literally take a flight across the world 
Um, but then I was like, oh, but what if it just gets on a plane? Uh, like, what if it steps onto the same plane that I'm on and then I'm trapped in a tin can in the air and then I die? <laughs> um, oh, no. And what if it has a transatlantic accent? Yeah. Or would it like, can it walk underwater? Would it just like walk the floor of the sea? Like, there's so many mm-hmm. questions. So I don't know. But that would be the first thing yeah. I would do is like literally be like, well, I'm flying to australia and figuring it out once i get there (laughs) yeah i don't know what i would do yeah (laughs) (laughs) but in any case they don't get on a you know transatlantic Transatlantic flight. flight they instead drive to greg's family's lake house or i guess beach house so while they're driving there Kelly also, there's, she like clearly has a thing for Greg. They never oh, like talk yeah. about it, but she's always like, you know, giving him the eyes and she's asking him, she's like, thank you so much for like, you know, driving us to your beach house. And he's like, yeah, my dad used to take me hunting there when I was a kid, whatever. He's pretty handsome. Yeah. He's like a cutie. He's like, you know, the long hair that was especially very popular mm-hmm. in the 2010s. Um, but Kelly then asked Jay if she thought about what Jeff told her, you know, to pass it on. And Paul is like, suddenly I'm awake. Suddenly my eyes are open and I'm listening and I'm tuned in. But Jay just says, I don't know. And she like clearly understands the weight and the gravity of what is following her and like what has happened to her and the burden that one carries with it. And because mm-hmm. she's like, been so affected by it she's very hesitant to pass it on to somebody else and burden them with it Um, definitely but she know shows a lot of empathy on her part so they eventually get to the beach house we see them just kind of unpacking their stuff and also they set up a bunch of like bells and cans on the windows so that way they can hear if somebody's coming in it'll like make some sounds we also see that paul stays up all night uh, while jay sleeps he's keeping a watchful eye Then in the morning, Greg goes to this like little garage, like hut thing that's on the beach where he finds this metal tin just sitting out where his family keeps a gun. It's not even locked. I mean, it's like um, people who have a lake house, like they have a they have a little gun, yeah, somewhere. I, um. Yeah, he his, his parents politics. might be a dick, but his politics <laughs> check out. His politics really check out, dude. Yeah. I'm just like, hide your gun better. Where's the gun safety? Keep it in a lot, like just in oh, a little tin there's can. There's no gun safety. No. Are you kidding me? Not there's, at all. There's no like, you know, take off the thing, put mm. it in a lockbox, da-da-da. No. Just throw it in a tin can. Um. So, yeah, he... Gives the gun to Jay so that she can do some target practice on some Fruit Loop boxes. And he's, you know, standing next to her, trying to make some small talk. And he's like, oh, you know, it it sucks sticking around at home while everyone else is gone. Like, presumably he means everyone that they went to high school with has moved away. And she says, it's a bit lonely. And Greg says, well, I'm, I'm right across the street. And she's like, yeah, I know. And there's clearly like a little bit of tension there. What and happened? he's like, I should have been nicer to you. So 
I mean, clearly people in the town like talk about Jay and her family. So mm-hmm. we get the sense that she's a bit of an outcast. It seems a little bit like the dynamic with um I cannot remember their character names, but like Sydney Sweeney and Euphoria. Mm. The Howard family. Is that their last name? Is that I thought that was Zendaya's. Oh, are they the Howards? Cassie Howard, is that right? Yeah, yeah, Cassie. Cassie, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, because they're like two sisters with a single mom and their dad. I don't believe he was like abusive, but he was an addict. Mm-hmm. And they their mom is like always wine drunk and yeah. it's just like it reminded me of a similar yeah. dynamic with like shit's always going on with them. Mm-hmm. And like we assume that Greg was popular. He's like clearly a ladies man. He always yeah, has a yeah. different like chick on his arm in every scene we see him in. So yeah, that that is so true. Like he's on a date and yeah, doing stuff. So mm-hmm. later on on the beach, Kelly, Paul, Greg, and Jay are all lounging. Behind Jay, we see Yara walking up to join them. Then Greg is like, "I'm gonna go take a leak," and like goes over to the far corner. And we look over at Paul, seeing Yara is actually in the water. Behind him. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, no. And she tells them they should get in the water. And then we see Jay's hair just being, like, yanked up behind her by this invisible, to everyone else, figure. And Paul tries to hit it with a chair, but it, like, throws him mm-hmm. like a skeleton across the beach. Yeah. And they all start running for their lives as it follows Jay. They go into the little beach garage and Jay gets the pistol out of the tin and she's, like, shooting it, which is honestly crazy because, like, Paul, Yara, and Greg are still on the other side. Or the, the, the only, the only person on there? the other side is Greg. Greg is like running towards oh, them. And she's, I wasn't sure if Yara came out. Yeah, no, she's fully um, shooting in his direction. <laughs> yeah, so like she is exactly like could easily, easily shoot him. I, mm-hmm. I'm like, um, let's just take a breather for a sec. Yeah. We didn't even know if shooting it will work. So, mm-hmm. but non- nevertheless, um, she persisted. And- <laughs> <laughs> beautiful that was beautiful (laughs) but her aim is not great oh you you wrote this note you go but her aim is not great and she literally almost shoots greg multiple times (laughs) he's crouching behind a little folding (laughs) chair stop (laughs) he's like please stop bullets whizzing past his ear (laughs) (laughs) yeah so she does manage to shoot it in the neck and it falls over, but it recovers instantly. Instantly gets right back up, keeps on going. So Jay locks the garage door, and we see through this like teeny tiny little window that it's now taken the form of the tall man again. And I'm like, get him off my screen. I can't see it. But luckily, that's the last of it. So when I looked up this movie, like in the like, you know how you Google mm-hmm. movie, it's like shows you the cast. Before we even see Greg, 
it literally for me it says like the tall man yeah and it has the actor's picture i'm like this is terrifying yeah when i was looking for like behind the scenes things or like interviews and stuff one thing that kept popping up was literally just the isolated tall man scene so i think people were just as affected by it as i was Um, let me tell you, I'm <laughs> mentally ill, honey, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> from that tall man. It made me think about this other movie that I saw, um, Gerald's Game, which is like a Stephen King novel that was adapted. And there's a character in that called the Moonlight Man. And that guy was also incredibly, incredibly tall. And he's been in like a lot of horror movies as kind of like monster-esque figures. And... Sometimes when it's dark and I have trouble sleeping, that face will pop into my head and I'm like terrified all over again. So if you two are afraid of extremely tall men and the dark, don't watch Gerald's Game because you may still be thinking about it two years after watching it. But anyways. (laughs) I don't like that. Like I used to think I liked horror movies and then I watched this and I was like, do I? Why am I watching this? <laughs> yeah. I was like, what do, What joy does this bring me? I like a more – this This isn't so much like my preferred horror movie. I, I'm much more partial to the slasher and things with like a non-supernatural element. The supernatural stuff, like it's like – Yeah. It's like a lot. Yeah. Like I like Halloween. I like, you know, Scream. I actually – I like Fear Street even though that does also have a supernatural element, but – yeah. Um. Yeah. Those are more so my preferred. Like I said in the last episode, I don't like haunted children. I don't like haunted dolls. So understandable things like The Exorcist or The Nun stuff like that is just not not for me. I'm too much of a mm-hmm. baby for that. I used to love um going on the Chiller channel, just exclusively mm-hmm. horror films. My parents had like this like insane cable plan and I would go down there at night and watch horror films Yeah, and then be like, I'm too terrified to like <laughs> walk up this, like to get out of the chair, walk up the stairs no, to totally. my bedroom. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like we said last week, it's hard being scared of the dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> It's so hard being afraid of the multitudinous dolls in my mm. parents' family room. <laughs> I could never watch a horror movie at your family home if there's dolls around. Dude, <laughs> when I tell you, when I tell you um, the first time um, Josh stayed over, mm. he stayed on an air mattress downstairs and he was like, like, it's, like, not a big deal, but, like, the dolls are creepy. <laughs> and the next time he stayed over, I was like, Mom, can Josh stay in the guest room? Like, he's afraid of the dolls. <laughs> There's just one in particular that's, like, extra yeah. scary. Wow. He was a brave soldier that one night. <laughs> yeah. He mm. was a really brave boy. <laughs> Poor Josh and Paul just being infantilized through this whole episode. (laughs) Anyway, so, yes, the tall man appears in the window. We're getting back to it. So we then hear knocking on the door. And it's the creepiest thing is just how, like, calm the knocking is. It's just like, 
like it's not banging or I don't anything. Like that. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And like when it jiggles the doorknob, it's not frantic jiggling. It's just like, let me turn it a couple times and see mm-hmm. if it works. Because this thing is like, you know, a thoughtless entity, this non-human entity, which again, made me think about Michael Myers. But this thing then takes it one step further and it like explodes like a giant hole at the bottom of the door. Yeah. When it. When it, I'm assuming it like kicks through it or punches yeah. it or something, but we don't see it. Yeah. It just looks like like the door flies out. I thought that um, Greg was shooting from the other side uh, or something. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I assume that like it kicked the door because it made such a yeah. large hole. But we do then see Greg look through the hole and he's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, there's nothing out here. And I'm like, have you not been listening? <laughs> you can't see it. That's why you think there's nothing out there. The hubris. They're not just running around and screaming for no reason. <sighs> Can't stand him. But he then is like, let me go investigate. And he leaves to go look around. And Jay worries that he is, you know, now been killed by this thing. So she like slowly crawls towards the hole in the door. And then we get a jump scare of a creepy child. And I didn't even put it together until later on in the film when we see the neighbor kid again. But I think that this is supposed to be the same. He's taking the form of that like neighbor kid that always creeps on her. Oh my goodness. But yeah, he like sticks his head through the hole and goes like, ah. and it's I don't like, I didn't like I that. I didn't like it. <laughs> but, <laughs> so he starts crawling through the hole. Jay runs out, like opens the actual like garage door and escapes out the back. And it starts following her again, this time in the form of Annie, the previous victim from the first, you know, from the first scene of the movie. So Jay runs to Greg's car. She starts driving away, leaving everybody stranded as uh, it in the form of Annie is pursuing her. She's obviously very freaked out and panicked, and in this state, she ends up, like, hitting a mailbox and crashing into a cornfield. After this car accident, Jay wakes up in the hospital, and she has a small head wound and a head wound. (laughs) She has a small head wound and a fractured wrist. Her mom, Kelly, Yara, Paul, and Greg are all asleep in the chairs next to her. And I was like, honestly, she does have a pretty good support system. Like, yeah. they're all like, we're going to drop everything that we have to do to follow you around for these like several weeks. Like, yeah, we got your back. So after she wakes up, she hears some footsteps and looks to her right at the hallway. The footsteps get closer and closer, and Jay starts to panic and tear up, but the nurse keeps walking down the hallway to another room. Slow zoom in on Greg, who in this moment like opens his eyes slowly and wakes up. Yeah, I mean, that that shot where she's just like looking down the hall and you hear the footsteps, it is incredibly anxiety-inducing. Mm-hmm. And like we mentioned earlier, this movie is very minimalist. So I like that we don't have to waste a lot of time on exposition stuff. For example, we see the slow, the slow zoom in on Greg and they make eye contact. And you just kind of know that they're making the agreement that like 
she's going to pass like he's going to she's going to pass it on to him like yeah it's pretty implicit but we then get this like little montage of the hospital again it's another um one shot where mm-hmm. we look we're looking from the outside through a window into all these different rooms in the hospital so we see in the doctor's locker room we see two doctors like flirting with each other we then go to another part of the locker room where we see two doctors like not speaking to each other. We then see in a private room, there's a child in there like playing by themselves. Uh, we then see another like family together where the patient is actually like the child. And then we also see an older patient uh, alone with a nurse in the room before we then pan over to greg and jay and he is getting on top of her and they start having sex so that she can pass it on to him so while they're having sex we see jay turn her head to the right so she can keep her eyes on the hallway again and i mean i do think that this like little scene where we pan through all these different rooms in the hospital kind of is signaling the the passage of life, the beginning of adulthood, where you like meet somebody, or maybe there's a disillusion of a like a disillusionment of a relationship, or yeah. when you have a child, and then maybe you know it's kind of like the life cycle where we then see the elder person dying alone, but also seeing like the child that's ill signifies that maybe everyone doesn't make it to that elder age. So we just see like different. Mm-hmm. Little slices of different passages of life. Yeah. Greg is just la de dying, <laughs> living his life back to normal, yeah. enjoying flirting with the gals at college. We see him eating like just the fakest hamburger I've <laughs> ever seen. Like it looks like like a McDonald's like hamburger, mm-hmm. just biting through it in two bites. Yeah. Um, he does go visit Jay in the hospital and Paul very jealously watches as he holds her hand and Jay asks if he's seen it yet. But Greg is like, nope, nothing. You know, I'm waiting and looking, but it's it's been three days. I don't think it's coming. I don't think you're looking. I don't think you're <laughs> I don't think you're waiting either. No. And Jay is like, you don't believe me. And he's like, yeah, I believe you. I just don't think it's following me. And I'm like the hubris. The, yeah. The hubris absolutely on this one. And again, this this does feel like another instance where like Jay is being used for sex because he clearly doesn't believe her and that this is He's real. He's like, I'll take it. I'm yeah. so valiant. Yeah. He was like, let me humor her just so I can sleep with her. Like. It would be crazy if fucked. Jay like did this and then she got pregnant. Oh, my gosh. Now, that's that's a nightmare scenario. Oh, yeah. So we go back to Jay's house. She is home from the hospital, cast and all, and we see her take a quick swim in her backyard. And we haven't really talked about it so much, but like water is very, very present in this movie. Like we see Jay in her pool a lot. But then once she has this thing, she really avoids the water. Like we don't see her go in the pool. When she goes to the beach, she doesn't go in the water either. It's only now that she doesn't have it anymore that she has gone back to swim for the first time. And I mean, probably the the met, like the metaphor of the waters, it's more so like childlike innocence, similar to, you know, being in the womb in the amniotic fluid. Oh my God. <laughs> 
But yeah, she is taking a little swim in the backyard. We then see Greg walk up to the house and he asks Paul, Kelly, and Yara how Jay is. They're like, you know, she's not doing amazing. And Paul asks if he's seen anything, but Greg says no and asks if he can, like, go in to see her. But Kelly says probably not. Like, she spends most of her time hiding in her room. She won't let anybody in. But, like, I can try and have her call you later. So Yara asks again if he really hasn't seen anything. And Paul says, you know, she didn't make it up. Like, surely he must have seen something by now. But Greg is like, well, I guess we'll know sooner or later, right? So he, like, clearly doesn't believe her. And Paul says, like, that chair broke in midair. Something knocked me over. Like, Jay is telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And Greg says, I think something happened, but it's not what she thinks. So Greg basically thinks that, like, she was traumatized by this encounter that she had with Jeff slash Hugh. And she has basically, like, created this delusion in her mind. (laughs) Yeah, it it is weird because at this point it's like, yeah, you might not have seen it, seen it, but you've all like mm-hmm. bore witness to it being like something, yeah. something in the air. Like windows have been broken. Doors have mm-hmm. been broken. Mm-hmm. Things are happening that cannot be denied. So that night, Jay looks across the street at Greg's house and just – looks around the street, like, watching out for anything. And then we see this figure who looks like Greg, by the way, Mm -hmm. dressed in all white. He's walking down the sidewalk. I thought it was Greg. But then she knocks on the window. He doesn't react. It isn't Greg. And he goes to the front door. He starts jiggling the doorknob. It's locked. So he picks up a rock and smashes the window. And I'm like, damn, I guess it is that easy. Like, you really want to get into someone's house, you just bang, smash the window. And Jay calls Greg on her landline as it climbs in the window, but she gets his voicemail. So Jay decides to run across the street and bangs on his door before climbing in the window. Yeah. She then hears some pounding, and it's at Greg's door. So she walks up the stairs and it is standing there and it looks like his mom and it stops knocking for a moment to look at Jay before turning back and like going back to the knocking. And I was like, oh, that's so creepy because it obviously recognizes that this is somebody that it has followed before. Mm -hmm. So Jay yells, Greg, don't open the door. But he opens the door and he's just like, what the fuck, mom? And we then see like the the front silhouette of it. And it is, you know, dressed as his mom, but in an open robe. So like her breasts are exposed and she jumps on him. So Jay goes over to the door and she sees it's like basically dry humping Greg's dead body and at the points of contact, we can see it almost looks like like an acid burn or something that when it touches you, like that's how it kills you um, through touching it, which mm-hmm. makes sense why he was like, don't let it touch you. So now that Greg is dead, it has passed back to Jay. So she runs downstairs, gets in her car, and we see in the background it is back in the form of Greg wearing all white and it's following her once again. 
So Jay just drives all night long. We see these like, not really time lapse shots, but we just see like different shots of her. And she basically cries the entire time she's driving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she ends up in the woods and sits on top of her car on the side of the road and ends up laying down on the hood and just like passing out eventually. Then in the morning, she wakes up and walks through the woods to the beach. I think because she hears like some music or something. Mm -hmm. And so she goes down to the beach and she sees a speedboat with some guys partying on it. And she just decides to take off her t-shirt and her leggings and like walks into the water. And the next thing we see is Jay like soaking wet. She clearly went for a for a swim. Um, and then we see that the pool has been smashed through and broken. Yeah, this scene was interesting to me. Like you mentioned earlier, it does feel very dreamlike and almost like, did this actually happen? And I had kind of wondered, because I forgot about this scene, that I was like, oh, did she like go in the water and join those guys on their boat and like have sex with one of them to pass it on. But like, obviously that didn't happen. I doubt it. Yeah. Um, but it is, I, when I saw that there were people on the boat, yeah. I thought she was going to like swim over and yeah. be like, Hey, can I hang out? And I wonder, I wonder if she did hang out with them mm-hmm. to just escape the, the possibility of it. Yeah. Following her. Yeah. And I guess this also kind of like, I think more so what they're doing with this scene is planting the seed of thinking of an isolated object in water, because Mm -hmm. like that's going to come up very shortly. Right, right. So the next morning, we hear someone knock at Jay's bedroom door. It is Paul. So Jay, she moves the chair that she's been using to block the door and lets him in. We also see that Kelly and Yara are sleeping on her bed. So they sit on the floor and Jay tells Paul that it's going to be here sooner or later. And he says that she could pass it on, but Jay just says that she shouldn't have. And Paul offers himself up. He's like, what about me? What about me, Jay? I'll take it off your hands. Me, 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 me. (laughs) But Jay says no. And (laughs) Paul's like... (laughs) Paul's like, well, I liked you too. Like, why'd you pick Greg? Me, 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 me. <laughs> I'm like, It's giving bro, in, so. <laughs> stop typing. Yeah. Why do you want, like, you want to have sex with her so mm-hmm. bad that you're willing, and he knows it's real because he yeah, got oh, hurt. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> He's willing to die for it. Um I'm like, that is teenage thinking at its finest. Absolutely. I mean, I do think, I think that he thinks he's in love with her. But it's definitely like, not to minimize the feelings of teenagers, but I do think it's the thing where he is so consumed by his lust and how hot she thinks she is and the pedestal that he's put her on that he thinks he's in love with her, but he's most likely not actually, which we'll circle back to a little bit later. But Jay says the reason that she picked Greg is that she thought he'd be okay. You know, he wasn't scared. And they also slept together in high school. So, like, it wasn't a big deal. So this is likely why there was some sort of animosity between the two of them. Maybe they hooked up in high school. Things went south. It didn't work out. What have you. 
So Paul then reaches over and holds Jay's like fingers that are peeking out of her cast. And he then boldly leans in to kiss her. And he almost makes it all the way there before Jay turns her head to the side. Yeah. He says he wants to help. And she asks, do you? And I'm like, yeah. Do you, Paul? Do you really want to help? Or do you want to help yourself? Good question. Mm -hmm. So Jay then goes over to the window. She looks across the street to see the boarded up window of Greg's house. And then Paul looks over at Jay's mirror and sees like a Polaroid stuck to it of her swimming in the pool. And he asks Jay if she trusts him and if she remembers where they were the first time they kissed. Yes. So they go to the car and load it up and they get in the car to go to the local pool. As they're driving away, Jay looks up and she sees it. It's a naked man standing on the roof of the house. It's here. Scary. Yeah. I don't know if this is – I, like, didn't get a close enough look, obviously, because it's a quite a far away shot. But I think this is supposed to be her grandfather because we see, like, yeah. all these family portraits earlier. Again, in a circle. And the one in the middle is, like – a smiley, cute little baby Jay with her grandparents. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that like it is taking the form of her grandfather in this moment. I think so. I think that makes sense. So they end up, you know, getting to the area where the pool is and it's um, a rougher looking neighborhood. Like houses are boarded up and abandoned. Um, You don't have the same like suburban tree lined streets that you have where Jay and Kelly live. And Yara tells the story about how when she was a little girl, her parents told her she wasn't allowed to go south of 8 Mile and says, I didn't even understand what that meant. It wasn't until I got a little older that I realized that this was where the city started and the suburbs ended. I started thinking how weird and shitty that was. I had to ask permission to go to the state fair with my best friend and her parents just because it was a few blocks past the border. And Jay tells her that her parents said the same thing to her. And I did think that was also an interesting piece to dwell on because Mm -hmm. we don't really talk about where they are. We don't talk about the the suburbs, Mm -hmm. like, specifically. Um, So I just thought that the fact that they mentioned it means they wanted to draw attention and draw attention to the dichotomy of, like, her experience with it versus Jeff, like, being in this, like, abandoned house, which I assume was probably also in the city. Yeah. Um, And I just, yeah, I don't know what to really, like, make of it other than it was an interesting dichotomy to, like, have this suburban set- setting and then this more, like, rundown city setting. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a crossing of the threshold again from like childhood to adulthood, leaving the safety net of, you know, this the suburb, which again is always going to be more associated with family life, with childhood. And then a lot of people mm-hmm. when they, you know, move out will move to the city. And again, I think it mirrors that whole idea of having your 
your dreams for your future, your the illusion that you've created for what your future might look like shattered a bit when you're hit with the reality of it. So they finally arrive at the pool. Um, they actually have to like climb over a fence and break into this building to get there. And Paul asks Jay how long she thinks it'll be. And she's just kind of like, you know, dancing her fingers in the pool water and says probably hours. So as the time passes, we see them open up all their suitcases. It's full of different electrical appliances and extension cords. Again, we see things from all different eras of technology. Mm -hmm. And they start plugging like absolutely everything that they can into the outlets and lining them up around, uh, around the pool. So eventually Jay gets into her swimsuit really cute swimsuit by the way and yeah. goes into the pool they just wait for it to show up we see some like really cool underwater shots of jay you know submerging herself kind of you know taking comfort in this in the water which is of course associated with safety for her one last time before shit mm-hmm. really starts going crazy so Jay keeps her eyes on the door and we see a shot of, you know, the camera just going down the hallway. It's obviously like a POV shot of it walking down the hallway. We go back to Jay and this is like a super, super wide shot. A lot of this happens. This whole scene happens in a really wide shot so we can see everybody on screen at once. And um, Jay says it just walked in and, you know, points to where it is kelly asks what she sees and jay says she doesn't want to tell her which is very spooky they then have her continuously point at it so that they can track where in the room it is because obviously they can't see it jay then says it's not getting in the water it's just staring at her and walking around So she starts getting really freaked out and she wants to get out of the water. But instead of getting in the water, it actually starts throwing the appliances at her. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know if it's just because like the lore of this monster is so ill-defined. I'm just kind of like, I know that it's not supposed to be stupid but it is supposed to be like pretty thoughtless and lifeless and it's only driving force is like follow and touch this person to like kill them. So it seems like maybe it was taken one step too far that it's now like, well, let me throw appliances at the person to kill them. Yeah, no, I felt like it was out of what we had already been, like the parameters Mm -hmm. of it were kind of broken. I was like, okay, this is like too smart. Yes, I agree. (laughs) But yeah, so it's throwing the appliances in the water, which, let us not forget, are plugged in so they could electrocute her. I was confused because, like, the technically water is supposed to be a conduit. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you have – if you're in the bathtub and the, you know, hair dryer falls in, you're going to get electrocuted. Yeah. But it doesn't work. No. Yeah. Thankfully, their plan doesn't work for Jay's sake. But maybe it's because the – the body of water is like so big that it absorbs. I don't know. I don't know. The I thought that maybe don't make it was sense because <laughs> when he throws it, like sometimes they get unplugged. 
Yeah. I was like, so maybe it's true. just not plugged in anymore. But I was I don't know. It was confusing. Yeah. But yeah, it just keeps throwing more and more appliances at her. And we actually do finally see it from Jay's point of view, so we can see what it looks like. And it's in the form of a man this time who's, you know, looks like he's about 40s-ish, brown hair, facial hair. He's wearing all white again. And it actually ends up hitting her on the head with some of these appliances. And we see some, like, blood in the water. So Jay is okay, thankfully. But obviously the plan didn't work. The electrocution is not going to happen. You said it also absolutely nails her in the head. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul points the gun in the general direction of it because she's still, like, generally trying to to tell them where it is. And they can also see it's throwing stuff. So as it's picking up a radio to throw at Jay, Paul shoots but accidentally shoots Yara in the leg. My God. This is the second time someone's been shot in the leg <laughs> in two <I> weeks. <laughs> Luckily, Paul manages to shoot its hand, and Kelly gets a sheet and throws it on top of the figure so they can see its shape and follow it. And That was Paul, really smart, I got to say. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul shoots it in the head, and it falls in the water. So Jay furiously starts swimming to the edge of the pool to get out. And just as she's there at the edge, they're, like, holding their hands out. They're like, come in. Like, we got you, Jay. Her foot is entrenched, not entrenched. <laughs> the The figure grabs her foot and, like, pulls her back under. Oof. I know. As she's, like, in the water, she's struggling with the figure. And Paul, unbelievable. Yeah. Like, he just <laughs> shot someone in the leg. And he's like, I'm going to shoot the figure I can't see underwater, underwater that's next to a human being. Yeah. And he's like, bang, bang, motherfucker. <laughs> Luckily, he does not hit Jay, and he does get the figure. Mm-hmm. And she gets out of the water. We see the burn marks on her ankle from where it grabbed her. And Paul asks if she can still see it. And very, very slowly, Jay crawls towards the water. But all she sees is blood filling the pool, turning the water bright red. Yeah. This feels like the the last uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Not like the last straw, but kind of like the the final sign that her childhood and her sense of innocence is behind her, that the water, a place where she sought comfort, is now – fully red filled with blood and yeah kind of forever tainted (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah kind of forever tainted by what she's experienced there's not really any going back from that especially and i mean they don't dwell on this which i do kind of enjoy because it leaves us up to our own interpretation Mm -hmm. but like her father being the one that's like trying to get the final kill yeah. Was very interesting. I was wondering if their I think their father's probably passed. Yeah. But I was wondering if he was like an alcoholic or abusive or something, but mm-hmm. we just don't know. Yeah. So back at home, we see Jay and Paul. They actually block the living room door, I'm pretty sure, with a chair. 
and they have sex on the couch. So she has agreed to to finally pass it on to him. Yeah. So afterwards, they sit together on the ground, and he asks if she feels any different, but she shakes her head no. And she asks if he does, and he says no as well. And I think this is a glass-shattering moment for him where, like, he's obviously built up this thing with Jay in his head so much, and he thinks that he's in love with her, and he finally got what he wanted, which was, like, to have sex with her. And it wasn't everything that he thought it would be, clearly. Um, Even though that's not what they're talking about. The subtext. So... Later on, we see Jay laying down in her mom's bed while her mom rubs her back. And this does like feel pretty out of place because we have not set up a loving relationship with the mother at all, which then in turn makes you really cement viewing Jay as a full adult because it feels weird to see like her being comforted in this way that, you know, mothers usually will like comfort their children because, like, Jay is firmly not a child anymore. We then zoom into a family photo. So we get, like, the reveal that the man from the pool, you know, it was in the form of Jay's dad. Meanwhile, Paul is driving through the city. He passes by some women, uh, maybe sex workers, on the corner. And... He looks back, expecting one of the girls to start following him, but they just keep chatting and he drives away. Interesting. So. I had kind of seen it as like he considers maybe like stopping and passing it on to one oh. of them was the way that I interpreted it. That – no, that makes sense too. I literally wasn't like – because I thought that he'd slowed down. I was like, wait, is he going to – like, mm-hmm. does he do this? Right. But I just totally forgot that he has it yeah. now. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, in the hospital, Yara reads to Jay from her shell reader. Oh, yeah, because let us not forget, Yara was shot in the leg, so she's in yeah, the hospital. she is being tended to. Yeah. And she says, when there is torture, there is pain and wounds physical agony and all this distracts the mind from mental suffering so that one is tormented by the wounds until the moment of death and the most terrible agony may not be in the wounds themselves but in knowing for certain that within an hour then within 10 minutes then within half a minute now at this very instant your soul will leave your body and you will no longer be a person and that this is certain, the worst thing is that it is certain. And Jay looks at Paul as he sleeps in the room. <sighs> then our last scene of the film, we see Jay and Paul walking down the sidewalk, holding hands. They pass by a man raking his yard. And we see behind them a figure slowly and steadily walking the end wow yeah i am not gonna be able to sleep tonight (laughs) yeah i'm so tired (laughs) 
I know there's a lot of interpretations of of the ending of this movie, and a lot of people didn't like it because it is so open ended and ambiguous. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, they did not manage to vanquish it at all, and it will continue following them. And I think they're just going to keep passing it back and forth, honestly, until one of them dies. But some yeah. people see that see it in the way that they did vanquish the thing, and it's just like the paranoia that we now have. We now see anything following them as it, but it's not. So to each their own. I mean, I definitely thought that the way it was framed was supposed to be ambiguous. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that they're not being followed, but they probably are. Yeah. I, I also thought, though, it felt very surreal because they're both wearing white in the final scene mm. and they're holding hands. And I was just like, is this even like real at this point? Like, right. is it just kind of like a daydream? I don't know, but I did think, like we mentioned, it's a really minimalist movie, so all of the loose ends are intentional. I think that it depends on your individual interpretation, Mm -hmm. Um, but I like – I usually hate that shit because I'm like, okay, you have an idea in mind, but with this film, it really does feel like unabashedly vague. Yeah. And really, I think that the style of uh, writing in film, it just, I really enjoy because there isn't any verbiage that wouldn't be there if, like, we weren't there. Mm. Whereas, like, any exposition overload, I'm like, all right, I'm already out of the world. Like, you've already fucking shut me out yeah. <laughs> because this is too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It, it's uh- – it's interesting because there's not a lot of action in this movie. A lot of it is honestly like very slice of life feeling. Right, exactly. Um, which then in turn makes it feel a lot scarier because it does feel so grounded in reality, even though it is in this very weird dreamlike world that has like an ill-defined time. But in that way, because it's so ill-defined, it makes it feel more timeless to me if it was like this is 2014 you know because things of 2014 are so incredibly recognizable (laughs) that um just you know hearkening to all these different time periods and decades it really works in a way that i wasn't really expecting it to but yeah ultimately i think that it has some really interesting commentary on just like the way that we transition into adulthood and kind of that that all-encompassing dread of your life maybe not turning out the way that you envisioned and having to embrace these scary dark twisted realities of like being an adult in this world and how there isn't really an escape from it okay that's awful (laughs) don't say that but yeah definitely the coming of age and um I think that them staying in town mm-hmm. after high school graduation really played a part in it because it's like every time she comes back home, like she's coming back to her childhood home, right? It's not like if she was living in an apartment or something and then we'd already have that separation between the family mm-hmm. and her as an, like an individual. Um, and yeah, having her sister there the entire time and – 
all of these memories of her past, like her grandfather and her father, I, yeah, I think that they just weaved through a lot of moments. I, I think ultimately of like trauma or just memories of, of not so great stuff with her kind of like having to face it mm-hmm. and like come it all coming to a head really. Cause I think in a different movie, it could be like, Oh, the final like big bad scene, her dad is back. And like, mm-hmm. she's like, she tells Kelly, like, I don't want to say what yeah. the figure is. And it could have been like, after this scene, Oh, Kelly, I saw dad. And she, and Kelly goes like, I'm so sorry. Like, you were always protecting me from him or, like, something yeah. like that. But she manages to, like, kill this figure in her life. And that definitely is, like, reflective of her experiences mm-hmm. and her coming of age. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting – like, it's such an interesting premise because it does, like you said, sound, like, so blah. But I think that yeah. the way that they executed it was really was really great. And also one thing we didn't even really talk about because it's harder to talk about it in this context. But, like, the music is so good. And I feel like it serves the storytelling yeah. so well. It's very, like, 80 synth inspired. We don't really hear any songs with lyrics at all, I don't think. And uh, it, it kind of reminds me of, like, Philip Glass. It's, like, that kind of style in some ways. But, yeah, the the soundtrack was really good. And I just feel like all of these different elements of the storytelling, the visual storytelling, the the score, and the camera work all, like, work together to create this deliciously unsettling cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Oh, <laughs> I really like the movie too. I The only thing I have to take points off for is once we started talking about Halloween, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> too many similarities. Yeah. You lose points for lack of originality. <laughs> Fair enough. Although I will say horror is such a referential genre that it doesn't, it doesn't like – you know, take me out of it, but mm-hmm. definitely since since we watched Halloween so recently, it's yeah. very easy to like pick out all those specific moments. But with that being said, um, what's your rating for It Follows? Honestly, I'd give it an eight. Yeah, I'd give it even though I think it's a really good movie and I really like it, it's doesn't like really scratch the specific type of horror movie that I really really enjoy so I want to give it like a 7.75 but it is really good it's just not Mm -hmm. necessarily like the one that I gravitate gravitate towards the most I mean I can't say I'll watch again soon because I'm literally like terrified (laughs) yeah but it is uh I think a really well-made movie and Mm -hmm. for me because I like the style of a minimalist film Mm -hmm. I was especially keen on it yeah um oh i'm glad you enjoyed it yeah no i really i really did i was honestly um surprised like i just didn't know what to expect because i never seen it before and um it was way better than i thought it was gonna be (laughs) 
Yeah, definitely, definitely has like a huge, um, huge amount of acclaim and like a big yeah. following uh, in the horror community. So if you're interested, I definitely, if you haven't seen it, definitely check out It Follows. It's a good one. And uh, yeah, we hope that you enjoyed this third installment of Spooktober. I can't believe we only have one left. That's crazy. Oh I my literally, gosh. It's a big one though. It's good. I know. And I don't even have my Halloween costume yet. That means I need to get the fuck on it right now because <laughs> Halloween is coming. <laughs> it's coming. Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you want any more content from us in the meantime, you can always subscribe to us on Patreon. It's $5 a month. You get a bonus episode that is picked and voted for by the patrons. This month we have Coraline out. So definitely check her out. Yes. And if you want content just on the social media, some uh, posts, we always post about what movie we're going to do that week beforehand. So you can follow us on Movies That Raised Us on Instagram. You can send us a good old-fashioned email at moviesthatraisedus at gmail.com. You can follow us on TikTok at Movies That Raised Us Pod. And you can follow us on Twitter at MTRU underscore pod. And with that being said, I'm Mo. And I'm Christina. And our theme song is by Garrett Schmidt. Bye. Bye.